love for you to find your Bible, bring it up on a device, Isaiah chapter 2. Uh, we're continuing in uh, our Advent season. We've entitled it Arrival. That's uh, what the word Advent means. It means coming or arrival. And we're thinking over these four weekends, these four Sundays leading up to Christmas of the arrival of Jesus Christ taking on flesh. And we're using Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. We're looking at a few passages of Scripture. We're not uh, going through all 66 chapters of Isaiah. We're just looking at four chapters. And today we're going to find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 2. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, if you're new to studying, reading, learning about the Bible, and where is Isaiah? Uh, Isaiah is kind of in the middle. Uh, find Psalms, Proverbs, keep going to the right, and you'll eventually land in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter Two, just a bit of context. Isaiah is a prophet. He's also a poet. Uh, most of what he writes is poetry. Uh, there's imagery, there's metaphors, and you got to dig into what is he trying to say. And he prophetically puts these poems together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to speak into pretty difficult circumstances. It's not good where Isaiah sits. It's, it's not good where Isaiah lives. He, we talked last week, he's living in Judah, or more specifically in Jerusalem, and things aren't good. There's uh, war, there's rumors of war, there's death, there's destruction uh, that to some degree has already started, but it's going to get a lot worse. And Isaiah prophetically speaks and sees beyond. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 2 today. Um, just a few verses of Isaiah chapters, five verses of Isaiah chapter 2, not all of it. And, but before we get to his poem, his poem, I want to look at another poem or maybe better set a song written by a, a well-known artist who, uh, who died many years ago by the name of John Lennon. We hear these songs, um, this is a Christmas song that you'd hear on most radio stations played or your Spotify Christmas playlist. Um, John Lennon's song entitled, Merry Christmas, with the subtitle, The War Is Over. Maybe you've heard the song. Here's what John Lennon said in 1971. He said, so this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over. And a new one just begun. And so this is Christmas. I hope you have fun. The near and the dear one. The old and the young. A very merry Christmas and a happy new year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. And so this is Christmas, he goes on to say. For weak and for strong, for rich and for poor ones, the world is so wrong. And so happy Christmas. For black and for white, for yellow and red ones, let's stop all the fight. And so this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one just begun. And so happy Christmas, we hope you have fun. The near and the dear one, and the old and the young. And then at the end of the song, there's this line, these couple lines. The war is over. If you want it, war is over now. And that, that, those lines are actually sung, if you've heard this Christmas song, those lines are actually sung over and over throughout the song. The war is over if you want it, John Lennon said back in 1971. Obviously, the war he was speaking about was Vietnam. At the time, him and many others were speaking out about the war. But it's interesting to me that in the midst of a Christmas song, John Lennon, back in 1971, spoke about a war being over. 
Now, John Lennon was speaking, obviously, specifically, hoping specifically about the Vietnam War. But in the midst of a Christmas season, war, and war being over, was on his mind. John Lennon and many others were calling for peace. They were calling for peace. And here, Isaiah, the prophet poet, some several thousand years before John Lennon lived, and we lived, sitting in Jerusalem with war on the horizon and war to some degree already started, is calling for peace. He sees peace. He sees peace coming. And that's the passage we're going to learn from today. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah the prophet says this. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, when it says Isaiah the prophet, or Isaiah the son of Amos saw, it's not just something like a dream, but it's something, it's talking about divine revelation. It's something he saw coming. It's something he saw in the future. This isn't just the pepperoni pizza he ate that night, or the night before. It's not just indigestion or like, that's a weird dream. It's this divine revelation from God about a future reality that's coming. And what does Isaiah see? In the last days, he doesn't know exactly when. He doesn't know exactly when this is going to be. He doesn't have date and time. He says, in the last days, this is what I see happening. He says, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills. All in all nations will stream to it. It, it. Again, he's writing poetry. He's writing in poem form. And when we read about mountains, mountains in this context were, were where gods lived. That's where gods would live. They would live on the mountains, high above the people. And it's interesting with that even in mind, what Isaiah says. He says, the mountain of not just any god, any deity, but he says the mountain of the Lord's temple, God's temple, will be established. And not just established, but he says as chief or top, if you will, among all the mountains, all the other mountains, all the other gods. He, his temple, his mountain is above all of them. He reigns over all of them. It will also be raised above the hills and all nations, the peoples... All peoples of the earth, they will stream, they will go towards God. They will want to be with God. Again, Isaiah, seeing beyond his current circumstances, sees this vision. And he says, many peoples will come. Many, not just Jews, but Jew and Gentile alike. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. That's it's God's kind of a reference to the God of Jacob, of God's people. There will be this like desire within people to move towards God, to come, let's go towards him. Let's move towards him. So that, or he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And notice as we move into verse 4, notice the transformation that takes place as it goes from war to peace. Verse 4, 
And he will judge between the nations. And he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Peace. Isaiah saw, he envisioned a time of peace. When there'll be no more war. When there'll be no more violence. When there'll be no more conflict. When God's temple is raised above and people are flooding to him. We'll talk about this in a moment, but weapons are changed. Weapons are transformed. This isn't the first time we've heard about this idea of peace. That God's reign, a future reign bringing Peace. We looked at Isaiah 9 last week. We're not going to read all of it again, but just one verse. Again, this idea of peace. 9 verse 5. Isaiah 9 verse 5 says, Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So the garments that were worn into battle, the garments that have blood on them from war, from conflict, will be burned up. And done away with. Why? How is this possible? We learn even the next verse in Isaiah 9. And we've sung about him already. There'll be a child born. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. There's coming a day, friends, where there'll be no more war. There will be peace, as we've sung, here on this earth because we believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's a Prince of Peace that brings peace between us and God. He's a Prince of Peace that brings peace between nation and nation, so much so that there's no more fighting, there's no more conflict, there's no more war, there's no more need for weapons. They're done away with. The idea of peace is the shalom, the shalom of God, the peace of God. What Isaiah sees in Isaiah chapter 2, again, he, he has this vision, he has this divine vision of a future reality where weapons used for war are transformed into instruments for the harvest. Did you pick up on that in verse 4? They will beat their swords. In this day and time, swords and spears would have been the weapons of the day for military action, conflict, fighting. When nations went out, they didn't go out without weapons, and they would go out with swords and spears to fight on behalf of their people, on behalf of their nation. But what Isaiah sees in the future is a coming reality when weapons of war, weapons used for harm and death and destruction are used, are morphed, are transformed. I don't know exactly how he saw it in his mind. There's actually a, and I thought about showing a picture, maybe I should have, but there's actually a statue right outside the UN in New York City where there's a man and you see his sword going into the ground and he has a hammer like this and he's beating his sword and his sword is becoming on the ground a plowshare. When these instruments used for war 
are transformed, morphed, changed. I don't know how exactly Isaiah saw it, but he saw these weapons used for war transformed into instruments for the harvest. Maybe to put it for our context today, like wards or swords and spears might not maybe connect with us, but it'd be like saying if tanks were turned into tractors, rifles turned into rakes, that's what Isaiah is seeing take place. And maybe put another way, instruments used for destruction are transformed into instruments that bring life. Again, Isaiah writes in poetry form, so there's always a deeper meaning with what he's talking about. And when he talks about swords and spears being turned into, transformed into plowshares and pruning hooks, those were instruments used for harvesting. Those were instruments used for gardening, if you will. And some even believe that what Isaiah is getting to here isn't just about the harvest, but what he's talking about, the imagery he's conjuring up in people's minds is Eden. Not necessarily Eden, what it looked like in Genesis 1 and 2 Eden, but the idea of life getting back to the way it's meant to be. When all the world is made right. When there's no more war, when there's no more fighting, when there's no more conflict. It's peace that God will make everything right. That's the idea of peace. It's, it's shalom. Maybe you've heard that word. It's, it's not just a greeting, but it means wholeness or everything being right. God is moving history towards shalom when everything will be right. There'll be no more war There'll be no more fighting. God will be with his people. That's what Isaiah sees in the future. War is over, is what Isaiah would say. They're not training. There's no need to train for war anymore. So what do we do? If we know this day's coming... Here we sit, 2017, about to move into 2018. We know, as Pastor Jim said, there's a, we were remembering uh, in his arrival that he came to earth once, and we know as we celebrate Advent that it, we're remembering or waiting for his return when he will, this, this reality of what Isaiah said here, will become reality. Weapons are done away with, war is done away with, fighting is done away with, conflict is done away with, tensions. There's no more escalations of nuclear weapons happening, like who's going to launch this against who? There's... There's no more of that. So what do we do in the meantime? Do we just kind of hold on tight and wait for that day? Or do we have a role to play today in seeing this reality, this reality we know is coming one day, break into our reality today? And I want to say we do. I don't think we just kick back and wait. I believe we have a responsibility. It's even part of the Lord's Prayer. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's this idea of we know your kingdom is coming one day, Lord. But today, where we sit today, would your kingdom, would you make the world right today. Situations that aren't right, tension that's there, would you make it right today? 
We accept what Isaiah said at the end of this section we're going to look at today. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 5. I didn't read that yet. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 5 says this. Come, O house of Jacob. Come, O house of Jacob. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. So Isaiah said, here's this reality that's coming one day. But the invitation is you don't have to wait for that day. Come, live like that reality today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. But live in light of it today. That that rightness, that shalom, that peace of God would come more and more today where we live. So I want us to talk about the battles, conflicts, wars, tensions, not in some foreign country or on some foreign battlefield today, but let's, let's move the, the battles, the tensions, the weapons, if you will, a little closer to home. And if we're going to be people that see this peace that we know is coming, we know Christ brings, if we're going to see this peace show up in our lives and in our world, in our context, in our communities... Let's be people who use this statement and see instruments used for destruction transformed into instruments that bring life. We're not going to talk about weapons of war. I'm not going to talk about tanks and rifles. It's not gun-controlled message or anything like that. Don't worry, I'm not going there. But let's talk about some weapons or instruments that we can use for harm and sometimes are used for harm And to see them transformed, like Isaiah saw, into instruments of life. And I believe in doing so, we're bringing that peace of God into our world today. Just two. I just want to talk about two instruments. First, the words we speak. The words we speak. We all know the saying. I don't know when I learned it. I learned it as a little child. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think we all know that. I don't know when we learned it or who taught it to us, our parents, friends. I don't know, but we all just kind of pick this up. Sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never hurt me. And I think we all know that's a lie. (laughs) I don't know, maybe we were taught to try to ignore the reality that words hurt. Words can cause harm. Words can bring about destruction in people's lives. This is a reality the Bible talks about. Proverbs 18.21, it says this. um, It says, the tongue, this is in Proverbs 18.21, the tongue, the words that come out of our mouth, has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The, the writer of Proverbs knows that our words just aren't empty words. They're not just things that are meaningless, but they carry weight. They, they have the impact. I don't, know, I don't think necessarily the, the writer of Proverbs is saying your words are going to kill someone, but what he's saying is your words carry weight. The things that come out of your mouth, the things you say to friends and family and coworkers and neighbors, and they have weight. They have either the, the, you have two options. You can tear people down with your words or you can build them up. And then another passage of scripture, James chapter 3. The whole chapter, almost the whole chapter in in James 3 is about the power of our words. But James says this, with the tongue, with our words, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men. And he adds this commentary. 
not just understand who you're cursing, who have been made in God's likeness. James adds that because he wants, you to, he wants us all to understand, like when we're saying these cursing type words, it's not foul language cursing. He's talking about like when you speak death or speak destruction over someone, like this curse, you're saying it to someone who's been made, just like you have, and you and I have in the image of God. And then he says this, out of the same mouth come praise, we praise our God, we praise, and cursing. So James addresses reality, but then he adds this statement. My brothers, my fellow followers of Jesus, is what he would say. This should not be. He says it's wrong. Don't do it. Social media adds a whole nother reality to this or technology, not just social media, a whole nother reality to the power of our words because now we have the capability of saying something to someone without even being in their presence. And let's be honest, we are maybe, it's quicker, we are quicker to send a text message to someone saying things we would never communicate to their face. We don't have to look at them. We don't have to be in their presence. Words carry weight. I came across this one study this week to talk about the power that shows the power of our words. One study involved young adults between the ages of 18 and 25. These young adults had no history of exposure to domestic violence, sexual abuse, or parental physical abuse. They had no exposure to that, these these individuals that were part of this study. They were asked to rate their childhood exposure to parental and peer verbal abuse when they were children. And then they were given a brain scan. The results revealed that those individuals who reported experiencing verbal abuse from their peers, specifically during the middle school years, had underdeveloped connections between the left and right sides of their brain through massive bundling of connecting fibers, and I'm going to mess up this phrase, but called the corpus callosum. So there's something that impacts the brain. And then psychological tests given to all subjects in the study showed that this same group of individuals had had higher levels of anxiety, depression, anger, hostility, disassociation, and drug abuse than any others in the study. And again, it's just one study. But I believe what this surfaces for us is the reality of what Proverbs and James tell us is that our words carry weight. They're powerful. They're not meaningless. Our words have the power to either tear down or build up. In the invitation, based on what Isaiah says to us in Isaiah chapter 2, he says, walk in the light of the Lord. Walk in the reality of who you are as a follower of Jesus. Walk in this. Don't just talk about it, but it's to impact how we live our lives. So, what Isaiah, what we're thinking about with our words, is saying, instead of using my words as a sword that will cut or bring harm, disrespect, hurt, discouragement. In light of this coming peace, in light of this coming reality, in light of the peace that we have found in Jesus today, I'm going to use them. I'm going to shift. I'm going to change to use my words to cultivate, to bring love and encouragement and hope 
and peace. To see our instruments morphed and changed. To use our words to cultivate life in people. And maybe even this week, with this in mind, maybe it'll change some things you'll say to coworkers, your children, your spouse, neighbors, family members, friends. The person at the store that's having a bad day because it's Christmas season and their line is around the corner to offer words of encouragement to them. That's not the only weapon or instrument, instrument's a better way I want to say it, that we can use either way. I want to next just talk about this, the positions we hold. I want to talk about the positions we hold. Let me kind of explain that by using Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 is what I would consider a somewhat humorous story of the disciples. Uh, some of you might be familiar with it. Um, it's, there's two, two of Jesus' disciples, James, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And in Matthew chapter 20, these boys come with their mom to Jesus with a request. Now, we don't know exactly how this request came about. We don't know if it was James and John said, listen, mom, we are head and shoulders above the other disciples. We know it. They don't know it but we know you do. Can you come with us to Jesus and put a good word in for us so we get positions of power and authority and prestige in his kingdom? Or it might have been just as their mom saying, you know what, like most moms do and most parents do, our kids are head and shoulders above other kids and they deserve the best. And we don't know, but James and John and their mom come to Jesus with a request and the request is this, Grant that one of these two of my sons may sit at your right and left in your kingdom. Basically, positions of power and authority, like, the, like in these positions, right and left, that, that they would sit there. And it's interesting, again, we don't know the motive or the, how it all came about. <laughs> but then the other disciples hear it. And in verse 24, it says, when the 10 heard about this, the other disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, I don't know if it was because they didn't think of it first. <laughs> like, man, why didn't I think of that? Bring mom, dad, like that would have been a lot. Man, man, it beat us to it. Or they're just really upset that who do, you, who do you think you are to want request these positions, if you will? But Jesus, like he does so many times, uses this opportunity to teach and to teach his disciples about what positions the purpose of them in his kingdom. In verse 25, it says, Jesus called them together and said, You know, you know that the rulers, those in authority of the Gentiles, here's the description of that, the context, the leadership in that culture, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. They, they look at people under them as objects, objects, objects to use, to be mistreated, to be manipulated, to be controlled, that these people are there for them, to serve them. And then Jesus says this statement, transitioning, kind of really condemning that form of influence and leadership in verse 26. He says, not so with you. If you want to lead, if you want to have positions of power and authority in my kingdom, it's completely different. 
People aren't objects. They're not there for you to use and manipulate and control. But Jesus says in verse 26, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, you want these positions? Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Must go low, not up. And whoever wants to be first, like James, John, you guys want to be the top? You want to be first? Must be your slave. Must be last. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, and Jesus uses himself as an example, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, you think of the power he had, the authority he had at his fingertips. And he says, I didn't come here to be served, people to be controlled and manipulated and used as objects, but I, I came to put myself under them, and so to speak, and to lift them up, to serve them. And he says, if you want to, leave, if you want to be in my kingdom, that's what those positions look like. So why, friends, why do I bring this up? In recent days, we are seeing story after story of powerful men who are using their positions and power to take advantage of women. Men have been seen as objects and have been experienced sexual assault and sexual harassment. We've seen this across industry lines. We've seen this in politics, Hollywood, news outlets, in the middle of October, Alyssa Milano, who's an actress, tweeted out, if you're on Twitter, maybe you're aware of this, maybe you saw this on the news, tweeted out in the middle of October, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write me too. It's hashtag, that's a, the number symbol is a hashtag. If you're new to Twitter or social media, that's a hashtag there. Write me too as a reply to this tweet. Within just 24 hours... Just one day, there was over 12 million Facebook posts and 1 million tweets. 5 million, or excuse me, 12 million and 1 million. And the numbers to this day continue to rise. And I want to say, too, the, too, the church is not exempt. There was a hashtag that came out, again, that helped people communicate called Church 2, where people share their stories of sexual abuse and harassment within the church. And even just this week, I read a story of a very well-known pastor, leader, who was arrested for char charges of child molestation. Just this Wednesday. And I bring this up not to throw stones at anyone, anyone in Hollywood, politics, and especially even in the church. But friends, the reality is we're just scratching the surface as it relates to stories. Just scratching the surface. We're just at the tip of the iceberg. If these are the stories we're hearing about, imagine the stories that are actually taking place. The amount of them. So what do we do knowing these realities? First, I think as a people of God, there needs to be a grief and a lament over it. This isn't good. This isn't good. We need to acknowledge the hurt and the pain and the suffering of so many. And even some here within Hope Church that have experienced sexual harassment and sexual abuse. 
But what do we do also in light of these realities? Knowing that this coming peace is coming. We know that's coming. We know there's going to be a day where the the world is going to be like it's meant to be. What do we do with these positions that we hold in God's kingdom? As followers of God in his kingdom. What do we do in the workplace where we know this is happening? We speak up. We are advocates. We are voices for those who have no voice. We defend those who are defenseless. We acknowledge it, and especially if we've been, if we've been a part of it, whether it's harassment or abuse, if we've been, on the, we've been the ones that have caused that, friends, we acknowledge it and we confess it and we, we move towards forgiveness. We don't just sweep it under the rug and hopefully it goes away. But Jesus says, not so among you that in positions in the kingdom of God and roles and positions we are there to put ourselves under and lift other people up. And to see what can, our positions become instruments of destruction, to see them morphed and changed into instruments of peace. We see the sword changed into a towel of a servant. And we use our positions, whatever they might be, for the building up of others to bring peace into this world. John Lennon said, war is over if you want it. And Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 2, walk in the light of the Lord. There's that invitation to live it out, to be shaped by it. Here at Hope, we just don't want to go through Advent, but we want to be shaped by Advent. We know that this peace is coming. And we know we can experience this peace today. So what do we do with this gift of peace that we've experienced? We bring it in to everyday circumstances and in the wars and battles and tensions and conflict that we face, we bring peace. We are peacemakers in our world and in our day. And even specifically, let's be those who see the weapons or the instruments that many times can cause destruction and harm transformed into instruments that bring life. Specifically, even this week, might we think of the words that come out of our mouths and the positions that we hold and use them to bring peace wherever God might send us this week. I want to pray and then we'll sing that song that Pastor Jim and the worship team introduced us to a little bit ago. So let me pray for us. God, I want to thank you for this prophet poet who saw a day when weapons used for war were changed into weapons or instruments of the harvest, instruments that brought life, that cultivated life. And God, today we know we're not in that state, we're not in that time. We know there are still wars, there's conflict, there's tension. We hear about them regularly. And, but God, I'm thankful for the reality that we know is coming. And God, I pray that we would live in light of that reality each day. And even today, we bring this closer to home. We don't think about the battles and conflicts in other countries on battlefields. We think of the conflicts and tensions and wars very close to home. 
And what do we do? What do we do while we wait? We, we have to admit there are instruments that can be used for destruction. But Lord, we long for them to be changed, transformed into instruments that bring life. So even these two, our words, help us to think about what we say, to bring life through our words even this week, to build others up. And where we have torn others down, we'd be quick to ask for forgiveness, to own it, to acknowledge it, to say, I am sorry for what I said. Help us to be smart and wise with our use of technology and social media, with what we post and share. And God, even help us think about the positions we hold, even think of workplaces and that are represented in this room today and community leaders and homes. And God, would we put away the sword and would it morph into the towel of a servant that is willing to lift others up? And to not take advantage of people, not use people as objects, not view people as objects. But to defend, speak up, raise up, serve those you've put around us. And in doing so, Lord, I believe we're ushering in your peace, that shalom of God into our world today. Help us. We need your spirit's help to live this out. And we pray these things, God, in your name. Amen.